What's up, guys? This is Justin. We're back on the podcast, season three, episode one. The last episode's episode 0.5. But yeah, we're back. Uh, super excited to be recording again with Serena. Um, I'm not by myself because I couldn't do what she just did. Um, but yeah, so so this this season, we're going to try to have some more structure for you all. Um, is that you? Okay, is that? We're going to try to have some more structure for you guys. So we have four segments that we're going to try to <laughs> do every single episode and replicate. First being three LOL. And Serena, do you want to explain like the title of that one and why we named it that? Um, because we finally made it to our third year of law school, which is amazing. <laughs> Who would have thought that Who we would be thought? here right now? Um, but everybody said it was going to be three LOL. Nobody's laughing. <laughs> I'm stressed all the time. This year has already been crazy. Um, so we're going to give you guys some updates on what we're going through as we go through our final year of law school. And then after that, we're going to do on the docket, which is going to be typically about like law and politics and all things um, that. And then after on the docket, we're going to do front page of Black Twitter. So that's when we go into the celebrity stuff, art stuff, leisure stuff, whatever we're talking about to get us all through the pandemic. And then the last one's going to be the descent where we close out and leave you guys with a quote. So, uh, Serena, you ready to get started? I am. And I think we're starting with Rose's thorns and buds like usual, right? Yep. Okay. I'll go first and then you can okay. think of some. <laughs> okay. <laughs> while I'm going. It was really hard actually to think of them this time, but um, I have a couple of roses, which I think is a good thing. But yesterday, a really great rose entered my life. I did a virtual wine tasting with some of my friends from law school mm. who are um, some of my really good friends now. Um, I guess I just don't have to like modify it every time I say it with like from law school, like they're just my friends. Um, <laughs> but we did a wine tasting for an Armbian's birthday and we did it with Napa's first black owned winery. And they're one of the few that like grows their own fruit even still today. Um, and they had like really expensive, really good wine. So it was like so fun. Just like we obviously did it virtually. So it was over Zoom. We like, got to yeah. taste a bunch of wines that had been delivered to us. And we had like really good food. And it was so fun. Um, and it just like hit me a lot harder because we don't get to like go out and like do anything or like have like wine out like in restaurants anymore. Um, so the wine tasting was at two and I was just done for the day after that because it was a bit stronger than expected. Um, and I lived with my friend Emma, so we were just like, we're already home. We can do whatever we want. Um, but it was really fun. My second Definitely. rose is that I went to the oldest black owned bookstore in the country this weekend. And it was so nice. And it was really nice. cool to be in there. And the owner let me like take some pictures um, while I was looking around, which was really cool. And we had like a conversation about like some of the stuff the store has been through over the years and how like as like one of the oldest as the oldest black owned bookstore in the country, like they've weathered a lot of worse storms than this before. Like they've been through really hard times. So they're more resilient than most and they're really proud of that there. And I think they should be. But it's called Marcus Books and it's in Oakland. And it was just so nice to be in that space like of like black history and like they keep a lot of books there. Like store buyers across like different genres which was really cool it wasn't just like one little shelf of like diverse quote-unquote reads it was just like 
all of this literature by black people. I thought that was really amazing. My oh, thorn, not cool. Yeah. Um, my thorn is everything else <laughs> besides those two things. Um, I just am consistently like really tired these days just because like we're overwhelmed with so much bad news. Um, so I find that really hard. Um, but I'm trying to find like the silver lining in all of it, which is like going to the bookstore and like doing wine tasting with my friends, supporting black businesses. Um, but it's definitely, it's been hard. So I guess my thorn has just been like my general mood lately. Um, and I'm looking forward to recording more because I think this is really fun. And it kind of like breaks up uh, my new COVID routine. So I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, we have like more time than ever, right? So not really. Mm -hmm. But we're in the house more than ever, so hopefully you can find out some time to do this. Mm -hmm. No, but that was cool. Okay, so I have, yeah, quickly, Rose's Thorns, but um, for me, the Rose, these days I'm just trying to, like, find, I find joy in the small things, so I'm excited about my coffee in the morning. I was looking forward to that. Um, and Do you yeah, make regular coffee, or do you make, like, hipster coffee? I make McDonald's drive through coffee and I get <laughs> two creams, four sugars. If I'm feeling happy, I'll go to Starbucks. <laughs> but typically, also, I love gas station coffee. It is so underrated. It's okay. the best. But if I'm like getting out the car early in the morning, I just go to McDonald's or um, Starbucks. Mm -hmm. so yeah looking forward to my coffee in the morning my thorn is this weekend upcoming weekend starting on thursday until saturday night i have a one credit class which means that my weekend is already gone but it also means that i get one credit by the end of the semester so mm -hmm. hopefully um it's worth it and it's a course that um I'm, I'm looking forward to which i'll discuss in our next segment um and then lastly but we're halfway through the semester, the first semester of our 3L year. And I'm looking forward to December. I'm looking forward to May. Not sure if we're going to have a graduation, but I will be graduating. So that's <laughs> all that matters <laughs> to me. Um, I do want to have my family there to celebrate. It's a huge accomplishment, but um, there are like more important things, I think, to be worried about right now. Um, people are dying. People are dying, Kim. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so let's let's push on to the next segment. Yeah, so next we're going to talk about 3LOL year. And like I said before, nothing's funny, but here we are. We're still making it through. We're halfway through the first semester. Um, so I guess we'll just give you some like general updates on what we're taking this semester, some of the things that we're up to. I know I already talked about a panel that I participated in on race and the law, which I talked about on the first episode, which you guys can go back and listen to if you want. Um, but Justin, you also did a panel, right? Yeah, I did a panel. What was the title of the panel? Student activism or activist? Mm -hmm. Like just thoughts and reflections on that. Yeah. What did you talk about? Like what was like your main points that you were trying to get across? Oh yeah, cool. So yeah, I just talked about some of the stuff um, I had done like this previous school year, not even out of like, just like, because I just had to sort of respond to everything going on around. Um, mm -hmm. And so I started like writing some stuff and um, I guess that's how the Dean um, reached out and was, you know, asked to, for me to be on a panel. And so on the panel, I just discussed how um, 
law school students shouldn't be forced to follow traditions or um, the path um, that everyone typically goes down. Um, you kind of have the opportunity to curate your own experience. And so I just wanted to convey to anyone listening, especially the one else and incoming law students that, you know, your journey is your journey and this, the field and um, the process that has become so normalized in law school has been one that's been trotted down by white cis heterosexual Christian men for decades. Um, and if you're black, if you're, you know, a woman, if you're, queer like you come into the space with your own set of experiences um and you should be able to use those experiences to drive and and, and create your own and trailblaze your own path and so i just wanted that to get that across to anyone who is listening who entered into law school the same position that i kind of came mm-hmm. into it with i yep. just think it's funny how identifying as something other than a cis heterosexual white male is considered like activism like being black and going to law school is considered like activism which is just so weird to me because a lot of us consider activism to be like steps way beyond that like some of the things that we're doing like advocating for our community is activism but for the law school it really is like us just existing in this space is like so abnormal that they're like wow look at this student advocate (laughs) no cap it's like look at the rare thing getting through this Hazing process. Good for Look you. At the, good for you. We really Coach. didn't expect you to thrive here. I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> and we did not get compensated for those panels. So, you know, pay your students, honestly, for. But honestly. I mean, I was grateful for the opportunity, though. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I did the panel. And then I guess I could talk about like some of the courses we're, we're taking this yeah. semester. Um, yeah. So Serena, Serena and I are in a class together, um, criminal procedure, with this kind of like really, really well-known constitutional law scholar, Fourth Amendment specifically. Um, and it's a pretty cool course thus far. Like, um, we've had days where I think I have left um, a little, what, drained, um, stretched because of the topics that we're discovering. Covering. And one thing I think this semester is also making clear to me is that I'm not crazy. Every, everything we study in law school is always about race. Race is somewhere in it, but this class makes it just so much more explicit. Like every single, you know, course or, or class, some race is is um, apparent and clear. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I leave the class sometimes drained, but um, we're in that course together. And then I'm in um, an intro to political philosophy course. I'm in a reproductive justice course with another black female professor who's amazing um i'm in COVID 19 and global inequality um i'm also in i feel like you have to tell them all who the professor is because i've already talked about rj on this podcast before because i loved that class okay Kiara Bridges, yeah. and you guys should really go look her up and support her work buy her book. yes yes her i'm in class so plural what you say her book is what her book's plural you should buy all of them yeah period um yeah, Professor Kiar Bridges, who is um, just brilliant. Like, I've learned so much in just five weeks, six weeks I've been in class. So um, I'm really, really enjoying that class. And I'm in one more class. What is it? Wednesday? Oh, no, Professor um, Raheem, who is a recent hire at Berkeley Law, um, Anti-Blackness and the Law. Um, it's a really, really cool course. I think it's something that um, so many students probably before us have pushed for. And it's finally, you know, manifested in 2020, which is 
um, pretty sad, but um, it's a really great course. And we're reading some really, really cool stuff, um, stuff that I've always been interested in. And so, yeah, those are my courses. Uh, what are you in, Serena? Um, I'm taking a few as well. I already mentioned before, I'm in clinic this semester, so I'm in the death penalty clinic, which takes up majority of my schedule because the way clinics work at Berkeley is like you spend a few of your units per week um, taking a seminar course that like goes along with like the work you're doing with the practitioners and then the rest of the hours of the week I'm working on an actual case um, with a client um, and it's capital defense so um, I'm working on that I can't really say a lot about it which is it is what it is like it's obviously confidential stuff um, because of my client um, but it is like really really great clinic to be a part of and I'm enjoying work, doing the work and I like that it's like so centered around racial justice because as we know the death penalty has historically been extremely racist for many reasons like procedurally and just like the idea of death penalty in general and where that came from and it's tied to lynching in the United States um, and I feel like the clinic is very cognizant of that and um, actively takes steps every semester to try to do that work and make sure students understand the history um, so I'm really enjoying my work there, even though it's very hard because the stakes couldn't be higher. Um, so it is a lot of pressure, but I think I'm learning a lot. I'm also taking um, education law and policy, which has like a discrim like a discrimination focus, kind of like a con law course uh, with Professor Edley, and I think he's awesome. He, <laughs> I feel like. Uh, he kind of picks on me a little bit in class, but I appreciate it because I think he's just like so smart and like so interesting as a human being. And he, like, if you know anything about education, like, is the guy or former, um, he's be dean of Berkeley Law, um, but he is like the education law scholar. Um, and he's worked on so much like legislation related to education law and policy. So, like, he'll assign like these, like, um, like reports that have been published that were like used to like create federal legislation and stuff and um his name is on it and like he was like part of these groups that were like creating these reports so like he knows so much um and he's just like a really funny guy and super dry humor so i'm really enjoying that class i'm learning a lot um because like educational law is like something i find incredibly interesting and obviously education played a huge role in my life so right. i like learning more about it and my mom's a high school teacher so I always find it really interesting to talk about that. And like Justin mentioned, I'm in Crimpro. Um, what was that sigh? Like, I, I, what was, <laughs> was that a sigh, Serena? Um, obviously. So I don't like Crimpro. And it's nothing against the professor because he obviously is a Fourth Amendment scholar. Like, he knows a lot. And I feel like he does a pretty good job with the class. But um, I just think it's, like, the most draining course I could be taking right now because like Justin said, like every single subject related to criminal procedure is racist. Um, and that's just like one of the concerns with like the many, many awful policies that come out of criminal procedure. Um, so I also find that really draining. And I also just think <laughs> it's just very obvious to me that a lot of our classmates are cops or cop apologists and like don't see a problem with like giving police the power to decide who lives or dies every day based on a hunch which to me just like how would you not think that that's problematic that like a random person could just decide on a whim whether or not you live or die um there's always a consistent what like five percent in our class who votes consistently yeah. if not more like it's always more but there's a consistent five percent that's like 
cop like on yeah. our pose that he poses to the class and it's like yeah. who is the cop among you <laughs> like yeah the question will be something crazy too like do you think it's okay for cops to murder <laughs> it's just like they're like yes <laughs> yes in this instance because yeah. <laughs> like why <laughs> i know i don't want to like I mean, not recorded. I wouldn't call anybody specifically out, but there's just some people that have said some crazy things, which I just find really irritating at this point. But I'm just like, I'm tired of it. I, I genuinely think it's so awful. But I will say for the professor, like, he doesn't shy away from the conversation. Like, I feel like his style is maybe to be more confrontational with students, which like some professors do. Um, but I think he's genuinely like trying to have the conversation. And I know, like, even from before the semester started, like, I emailed him, and I was like, what are we going to do about racist students? And he's like, <laughs> it's like, hello, nice to meet you. What are we going to do? And I felt like he was open. And, like, every time that I've emailed him about, like, stuff that I think is problematic that comes up, like, he always wants to at least engage in a conversation with me, which I appreciate. Unlike like, I won't say it always, like, <laughs> he doesn't, like, come out on my side necessarily, but he'll listen me? to me. Did you hear me? No. I what said, unlike say? the first year, <laughs> I used to email professors, y'all. <laughs> and they oh, walk past I still you have email drafts prepared. <laughs> and they walk past you in the Lasai room and you just like, hey. <laughs> when I used to get ignored, yeah. I still write emails, though. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm going to do anyway. Because this is how I am. <laughs> He said we could. He said, if you ever have a problem, email me. And I said, bet. No, I seriously. I pulled up my drafts. And he's responsive, too. Like, he's really responsive. Um, yeah, he is. So, yeah. But, like, I, I want you to talk about something you said earlier about the students in that course and in general, like, doing law school on Zoom. Like, so the thing that is interesting when you're in Zoom, um, a lot, in law school on Zoom, is that there's a chat function that people like, there's no like really rules or like norms around how to use the chat function. And so mm -hmm. unlike the law school where like people are more hesitant, I think to raise their hand. Um, mm -hmm. And there's no like constant conversation going on. <laughs> in mm -hmm. law school and Zoom, there's like a chat box that like people just, uh, people just write stuff in like whenever they have a thought. And so sometimes some students have these takes, these hot mm -hmm. takes, they just feel like I need to speak on this because I'm, I'm thinking like a white liberal. I need to speak on this because I need to show my classmates that I'm woke and I'm a ride yeah. for them. And so they'll occupy that function um, a lot. And so it's just like a constant stream of hot takes. Like it's a TL that I'm like just watching mm -hmm. develop in real time. And so it's interesting because like I said, some people have takes that are not as woke as I think they think they are. But how, like, how are you feeling about Zoom in general, Serena? Yeah, I think the chat feature is so weird. And I think it just creates, like, such strange classroom environments, I guess. Like, I will say for that class, like, when people use the chat feature, it really, like, it will never stop surprising me that there's people genuinely discovering racism for the first time as a law student. Like, do you know how much school you had to get through to get into law school? Yeah. Like you had to go through a lot of your life to get to this point and you're just now in crim pro discovering that racism exists. Like that just blows my mind. They're like, oh my God, I can't believe cops would apply this differently based on race. I'm oh, like, yeah. Where have you been? That, that video we were watching, they were like, oh my God. 
why would they do this? To him? Like, what what did he do to warrant this sort of treatment by the cops? And we're like, he's like, exactly. So that does like blow my mind. Like the chat feature is it's really weird. Um, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of Zoom. I do think there's been like articles published about how much more exhausting it is to like participate on Zoom really? I didn't really throughout your whole day that. versus like being in person. What'd you say? I didn't know that. That makes yeah. sense. I feel exhausted. Well, yeah, part of it's like on the video, you're watching yourself react to the conversations that are like going on. So like, it's just very exhausting to like try to pay so much attention to like how you're reacting. Then you're like mm. watching other people and like trying and you have no like energy to like draw off of like in a room where there's just like obviously more feedback you kind of have to create that for yourself when you're on zoom so it is like a performance um i haven't read all of them because if i'm so tired i'm not gonna like read all these articles about why i'm tired but i read the headlines <laughs> no that makes sense like that that makes a lot of sense because i just yeah i really was like i was wondering how other law students were getting through it I think for me, I'm more of a, like, I'm more of a loner anyway, so it's not as bad. Like, some mm -hmm. people, like, really, you know, thrive off of, like, group study and, yeah. inter like, a lot of interaction, social interaction. Um, and so, yeah, I was wondering, like, how other people doing. So, that makes sense, though. I do feel, I do feel exhausted as well, a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like I'm always in a meeting or always mm -hmm. in class. Like, it never, like, the, like, even, like, right now, so if I get off the call with you, I mean, you know, stop recording with you. You know, for like I'm anticipating the next class that I have tomorrow. Though. Yeah. So yeah, it's just it's interesting. And then where's the support? <laughs> because what? that's what I'm saying. Like we're so exhausted and we're going through so much. Like besides Zoom, like Zoom school is one factor in our lives right now amongst many that are happening to right. us. Like, right. And then I feel like sometimes the only solution that institutions can offer is like, oh well, here's another Zoom link. Maybe that'll help. It's like, how would you possibly think that that was the answer to the problem of Zoom to right. send me another wow. link? Wow. Wow. Yeah, you know what? I Actually, I was, yeah, like, you make a good point. I think we should at least have some, like, some more um, just resources around, like, mental health and therapy right now. That's if, what I'm if, saying. Like, if, if we're going before. through. Yeah. Yeah, like, if we're, especially because the school says they like want to be supportive of black students and students of color and we're going through like an incredibly difficult time when it comes to like anti-blackness right now publicly yeah. like with the world but yeah. there's not a single counselor focused on like anti-blackness or racism or like working with people of color that they could hire like there was nobody available that they could bring on to help students that just seems unrealistic to me no you're right that's a really good point i didn't even think about that mm -hmm. See, this is what I mean. Like, it's three LOL, but who's laughing? Like, they are. Funny. They're laughing. And <laughs> we're going to be laughing. with our full tuition. <laughs> Literally, when there's no graduation. And I'm just going to laugh my way <laughs> onto summer because that's it for me. No, this is, this is, yeah, this is, yeah. But, um, yeah, I guess we can now what, move on to the next one, next segment. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's three, that's three LOL for us. Uh, so, next is on the docket. Um, we have, what three three people on the docket today um first being the supreme court and the recent loss of rbg um the second being the elections um joe biden and kamala harris against um as you know um, the 45th 
And then lastly, we have um, anti-blackness that's been on display uh, this summer. Um, and so first, let's, let's talk about the courts. So Serena, yeah, like last week, um, you know, our, was it, yeah, last week, um, RBG passed away um, at the age of, I think, 87. Um, her loss is obviously felt by the court um, in the country. Um, she, if you guys do not know, is one of the judges who was often um, uh, uh, left-leaning, a more liberal judge. And from a lot of things that I read in law school, um, she has written some incredible dissents throughout the years. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to just, what, how do you feel about RBG's um, law center? I think you summed it up pretty well. She's obviously done a lot of really incredible work throughout her career and her life. Um, and she was just at Berkeley too. Yeah, she came and did a talk with mm. Professor Amanda Tyler, who I think was a former clerk, and they've written some things together. Um, she did a talk at Berkeley Law um, talking about her career. Um, and yeah, I think the loss will definitely be felt by many, and it is a huge loss for the court and for our country. And I know a lot of people really admired her work and how she kind of did help like pave this path for women in the law. Um, so I, I don't know, it's hard to describe like how I felt like, I feel like things have already been so low that I almost yeah. responded with like this, like, I don't think it was genuine apathy, but I think I felt kind of apathetic about it because I'm just like, what else could possibly go wrong? You know, it just felt like another like, loss that we've had to suffer this year um but i definitely think she was an incredible woman and an incredible lawyer um and i think it's going to be hard to fill her shoes um if that's what the intention is with the supreme court um i guess we'll see i will say i do think it was funny how all of her clerks went to the supreme court together and did you see the photo of them like lining the steps um there was honor, what, I guess? one black person if that, I don't even know if there was a black person there. You couldn't see him. But I just thought like, it did provoke some interesting conversations about what it means to be a liberal justice and like how a liberal justice mm. is still, <laughs> maybe mm. not the heroes we make them out to be because there's wow. just so much, work, so much work left to do, you know? When you think of like the people they surround themselves with, the people they give opportunities to, like some of the opinions she wrote about protecting businesses more so than protecting plaintiff's rights to sue a business, um, which is a personal vendetta of mine <laughs> that I haven't let go since I read it. Um, so I think there is still a lot of progress to be made and that's not to undermine the progress that she helped create so far. Like I think it's undisputable that she had like a huge impact on the law and she did write a lot of great things. Um, but I also think we can't let the loss of one person who was a human being like mean that we're gonna lose all hope that there's nowhere to go but he from here you know um and i think it's okay to let her family grieve her but also understand that there's more that we want from the court and from our judicial system that maybe just like finding a replica wouldn't fix period i love that no i think you summed it up well like the criticisms and mm -hmm. well i'm just trying to say i get why people are sad and i get why it is that yeah. it is lost but like there's still stuff left for us to do, you know? Yeah. Like, there's yeah. a reason to be desolate. And, like, uh, you know, 
she lived a great life and she did a lot of great things. I'm like, let's let that be great. And let's keep yeah. going and maybe do more that she didn't yeah. get to. Yeah, yeah, wow, yeah, much more because there's a lot, to, yeah, there's a lot to get done, especially um, in the near future. I think the, yeah, this 2020 has been so sad for a lot of people. And I think that, you know, you just lost John Lewis, you just lost Chad with Bogan. Uh, mm-hmm. And people are just like losing loved ones. So it just seems like 2020 is a, just a heavy year for a lot of people. Um, but I think like, yeah, I think you, there's like a clearing call to just like, you know, honor her legacy um, and honor her legacy by continuing to work and making yeah. it more intersectional and expansive. Um, yeah, and expanding the scope of what she maybe started, but yeah, yeah, yeah. we, can, we recognize that there's so much more to do. As right. told by the story of that photo of her clerks. <laughs> and that's period. <laughs> uh, yeah, so next on the docket, we have the elections. Mm-hmm. Um, yo, we are uh, almost to election day. Um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see um, our Democratic uh, candidate Joe Biden. Um, what's going to happen with the elections? I don't. I'm really, you know, I'm interested to see what's going to happen. I think debates um, this upcoming Tuesday will will. Um, be interesting to watch. I think that, you know, like, how do you feel about, I'll ask you this first. How do you feel about the whole conversation, like, the civil rights movement and MLK died for our right to vote, therefore you should vote, and if you don't vote, you're dishonoring them. Um, Mm -hmm. And how do you feel about people who just say, I don't want to vote, and I don't want to cast my ballot for a person who says he's going to give $300 million to the police after this summer when we have been saying defund the police. Uh, how do you feel about that kind of debate? What do you learn? Um, I'm still learning a lot about it. I think it is a good conversation to have. Um, I get why people are afraid on both sides of the argument, like people who really believe in the power of voting, like are afraid that if people don't participate in the presidential election, like the consequence for marginalized communities will be far greater than it will be for like white liberals who abstain. Um, and I think the people who really don't find utility in voting, like I think that's also really valid because I guess it goes into like this idea of like, um, like supporting and sustaining the system that's historically like never actually followed through on the promises that they've run on. And also, like, what does voting do when, like, maybe community organizing could be more effective and is more effective for marginalized groups? And how, even if you vote, like, you still have to fill in so many gaps in the system that, like, historically leave you out. And is, like, voting to return to normal something we actually want when normal is so problematic for so many people and, like, so, like, actively harmful? Mm. And that's just, like, a super, super brief, (laughs) like, only a glimpse into like some of the conversations that are being had like that's by no means exhaustive of like where this is the conversation is going um but i i will say i get it and i've been like paying attention um i don't think that anybody has to vote by any means i do think that there's more than just the president on the ballot that could be important and um one of my friends from law school who graduated last year samira i saw on their instagram story um they were promoting like, um, I don't even know what to call it. Like it's hard to like categorize like, like bite-sized information about like what it would mean to vote or not vote and talking about like a lot of these like 
groups um, like Moms for Housing in Oakland, like they're actively asking for people to vote, especially for local measures. So, like if we're just saying like, we got to throw away voting, like that's so stupid, it's not going to do anything. And then we're not even paying attention to what grassroots organizations are asking us to do to help their advocacy efforts. Like that also undermines them mm -hmm. and like trying to juxtapose grassroots organizing to like institutional like voters um, is actually like false. It's like it doesn't work that way because I think there's a member of Moms for Housing who's actually running for like a local seat mm. on city council. So like if you're saying like, I don't believe in voting, it doesn't do anything, but then you're not actually supporting the organizers you think you support, like that's also creates issues. Um, so I thought that was like really good nuance to the conversation that I hadn't thought about yet. Um, I don't think that <laughs> voting is like what we do to honor our ancestors because like things have just changed so much since then. And they couldn't have foreseen anything about where we'd be now, you know? <laughs> like I just think that's kind of like a weird argument that like people died for your right to vote so you have to. Um, I think I think informed voting <laughs> and conscious voting is better um, than just voting because you think your ancestor would have told you to. I don't know. I find the argument really weird. <laughs> no, like for, let people rest in peace. Like y'all stop, <laughs> stop doing that to these people's names and these people's families. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> these people, y'all. Like honestly, a lot of our ancestors died because white people killed them. You know, like. Not because they were doing it specifically so six generations later somebody could cast a vote. I feel like it just really like is so reductive of like the history of blackness and anti-blackness and what it means to have civil rights, just to say that it all boils down to like a singular vote. Um honestly, like y'all, like our ancestors were abolitionists too. Like, like abolitionists. Um and so like they would probably be out here burning stuff down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like honestly like there wouldn't be no ballot box because the ballot box yeah. wouldn't exist like mm -hmm. yeah so I just feel like I think that people try to like obviously this is a whitewashing of history but I feel like our ancestors were far more radical than we could ever imagine um mm -hmm. and so I don't like I don't like the whole kind of paternalism or yeah. infantilizing that we do of them because that's I mean I just I just don't believe that um, yeah that's who they were i think it's true that some of them are probably more radical than we even know now because so much of that history has been erased exactly um, but i also think even for the ones who weren't maybe what we think of as radical like the ones who just wanted to survive day to day like what this conversation needs to understand about like voting and like what it means to vote for your ancestors blah blah is that they also just like our community today were not monolithic they were not of one mind mm -hmm. like it's not like the black community thinks like we're all gonna step left right now. <laughs> we're all gonna step right right now. We're all gonna cast this one vote. Like it's a very diverse group of people with varying interests. So I think we need to appreciate more that there was more than one item on the agenda for the black community back then and there is now. Um, so I think people mm -hmm. should be free to like make that decision. Um, but I think it is important to understand that there's a lot to be voting for right now besides just the president. So. I guess maybe just like be like intentional about what you abstain from um, and think about like what the organizers you look up to are asking you to do. And if you actually support those initiatives, like what do you need to do? Um, because I also, I don't think it's just like all or nothing. Um, 
that's Serena's PA to be informed, folks. Be <laughs> informed. <laughs> Serena said, yeah. read your stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just be intentional because I think no, yeah. group think is real, especially when it comes to like politics formed from Twitter and from like online. Like it's just so easy to like collect small bits of information and like make that yes. your entire platform. Yes. Um, yes, yes. It's just like so much work that many people don't have the time or access to do, but like if you do have that, such as law students at universities who are in a position of extreme privilege um, on one front, well, they might be underprivileged on others, but I think you do have access to the tools that you could like inform yourself and not spread misinformation for others to look up to you. Um, I think that's part of our responsibility right now. And then if you have it too, like disseminate the information too, you know, like don't, don't, I feel like we should always, we have this conversation in anti-blackness in the law actually. And I think um, Maya brought it up and she, and she raised the question like, um, I don't know what the question was, but the point that she made, that made me think, she talked about how um, she was wrestling with whether or not we should use our privilege to gain more, act, to give more people access or mm-hmm. use our privilege to abolish the very positions that we kind of come into. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that's such a powerful thing. So I, I said that to say that if you're in a position um, where you are privileged with like knowledge and and access to tremendous resources like open up that door wider so that more people can come in and so if yeah. you have more information on voting or just legal resources in general make sure you disseminate that knowledge on like on whatever platforms you can and just inform and make sure that you like also inform people of the things you know yeah and i will say it's not like an easy decision and it's not like right. like voting versus not voting i think what i was trying to articulate is like there's a lot of like really good points yeah. Or like either way that a person chooses, but like make sure you understand exactly what you're doing because I think a lot of us, maybe not even us, but from what I've seen, like there are a lot of like white leftists online that really like harp on people about this point and about like voting and how like if you vote, you're an institutional Democrat and blah, 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 you mm-hmm. can't actually be radical. But I, off- I obviously don't think that's their space to police. Um, and it's funny how they end up being the police in whatever space. Um, Screaming. <laughs> Y'all are fair. I really do think sometimes, like, especially like younger white leftists, like overestimate the value of their opinion in these situations. Ooh. And maybe like take a step back and learn from people who have been having the conversation for decades. Wow. Y'all the police Just some thoughts. trying to be the police. Ooh, and abolish the police. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think, speaking of abolish the police, we can't end election conversation without talking about our vice yeah. president candidate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> throw him in jail. <laughs> Period. <laughs> um, the attorney general uh who then turned senator no the what she was she Kamala Harris was attorney of I think DA of San Francisco and then attorney general of California and then senator and now vice presidential candidate um the first black woman to um hold this this position uh in the primaries um and she's if if Joe Biden's elected, she'll be the first um black um female vice president. 
um, or at the highest position in the executive office. Um, I mean, you also just be the first woman vice president. That too. Um, yeah, like I feel like this actually fell into like the backdrop of everything going on. Like when when it was first announced, like it was you know um, a big deal. And then I feel like it just kind of went away. So yeah, how do how do you? I feel what, like the conversation kind of tapered off though like because remember she was running for president so like people were talking more then yeah and now not so much yeah not so much yeah I don't know I think look I've seen you know multiple criticisms about Kamala Harris and I think they're um everything I saw was fair uh, critiques I think you know I think the summer like moved us which we get into next it just like moved us into a space where abolishing police and just abolitionist politics in general are more mainstream now than ever before. And so the people that I think could have really, really done well in an Obama, a pre-Obama, um, Obama era are now just like, we are holding the fire to them like never before. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, she probably could have got away being a prosecutor back then. But now it's like, you're a prosecutor, which means you're a cop. Um, which means you threw people in jail, and now we're dealing with, you know, the public finally realizes that Reagan administration post, you know, mass incarceration is such a bad thing, and now, like, so so if you do anything that relates to that, I mean, you know, your record is going to be um, called out. And so she's been called out, um, and I think that as long as the information, um, you know, doesn't, isn't, isn't, isn't coded massaging wire, I'll say, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm fine with holding her to the fire. I'm fine with that. How do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I definitely think we should be criticizing and scrutinizing, I guess, politicians that we could potentially be electing to represent us. Um, I also do think, and what I was maybe getting at before is that to a certain extent, like the vice president doesn't really matter. Um, especially if we're working like grassroots level and local level and then state level to like create policies that are going to go farther and like um, create organizations that are going to like affect some of the change we want to make. But I definitely, I still think it's fair to criticize what she's done. Um, I do think it's interesting and maybe it's just because this is an election and that's why it's like sparking the conversation and people like really want to like pay attention to what she did as a DA. but I think there's also a number of people who did extremely harmful things when it comes to like criminal law and criminal justice that have then made it to Congress. And I wonder if there are conversations happening that maybe we just haven't seen yet about their records and like what the difference really is. And if that means we need to take like a closer look at like the records of other people that make it to Congress, because mm-hmm. I know she's not the only Senator with like a record like that. So I do think, if people are really like engaged in this conversation, like maybe there's going to be more to come and like more scrutiny put on who else is in Congress um, because it's not just her, but I think maybe she's in a unique position right now um, with a lot of eyes on her. And that's why, Um, because there's a lot of people that have caused a lot of harm (laughs) that make it to Congress. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I feel like a lot of people are like, either they're like, they like her or they don't like her, which is kind of weird things to have in my opinion, because, like you said, I feel like there are a lot more people that could be under scrutiny um, for the things that they've done. Um, 
Well, yeah, that's that's a really good point. I I didn't think about that. Um, but we'll see. You know, we'll see. Hopefully, I think a world in which Joe Biden is president is much better than the world um, where the forty fifth is. And so, my hope is that you know, um, he's elected and he takes us somewhat closely to what Angela Davis says she thinks he's going to do. <laughs> uh. Yeah. I do think I understand. I truly understand why people don't support Biden and Kamala yeah. um, or Biden and Harris, I should say. Um, but at the same time, I think like people really got to get over Bernie because every time something comes up, they're like, look at what we could have had. But I'm like, you're not getting that. Like, you know what I mean? Like you've got two options right now. You're not getting that. So I really think we got to let that go for now. <laughs> I know it's hard, but like you guys really got to let that go for now. I'm not saying you have to like these options or like you have to participate. Like obviously you don't have to, but like you don't have to post memes of your candidate. Like you just really don't. <laughs> it's so tired. I'm so tired of it. Um, and there's a lot more valid criticism to make than just the fact that somebody's not Bernie Sanders. Like you could actually be scrutinizing like real actual policies and real harms that you want to avoid instead of just like bringing up that old man again. Um, no, just people just want kind of, I think people just want figurehead. Like they just want yeah. figurehead. Like I said, they don't care about like real, real policies. It's like, who do I want to be the face of this imperial nation? Bernie mm -hmm. Sanders, because he's a commie. Like, <laughs> wow, you're so woke. Like, here are your five retweets like just, i think yeah. honestly i hope this doesn't happen but i think something that worries me about the election um is that for some reason i think he just will like stage some sort of like i don't even know what to call it like he won't leave like he'll refuse to leave office and then like what are we gonna do then like what happens we're gonna log in the zoom <laughs> I'm gonna have my class <laughs> because that's what will. we've all been doing for these past four years. We just go, listen, it just gets worse and worse. Like, I thought we were gonna stop when, shoot, he was impeached. I thought we were gonna really get him out of there, like, drag him out. I don't care if the Senate, <laughs> like, so you know, what we're gonna do, we'll do the same thing. Anybody, you know, the professors are gonna talk about it, <laughs> nobody's gonna say anything. It's gonna be the same old, same old, like. We we're gonna do. drive to McDonald's and get our coffee. Get our coffee, <laughs> and then we go and log on to class. We go drink to the demise <laughs> of the U.S. and the electoral process as we know it. And maybe, just maybe, who knows? We may get our abolition. <laughs> who knows? We are so fatalist. Um, next Can on you the docket, what's been going on though? No, I can't. I can't speak. Speaking of which, next on the docket. Anti-blackness is just so pervasive these days. Um, I'm not gonna say pervasive now more than ever before. I'm just gonna say that like the mm -hmm. author, critic, novelist, extraordinaire, she's not a novelist, but critic, social critic, extraordinaire, Sadia Hartman has said, we are forever or now for sure in the afterlife of slavery. Um, and I think this summer proved that. Um, if you had not believed it before, I think that just the amount of sheer terror and violence that has been happening to Black people um, throughout the ages 
but in particular, I don't think we've ever seen this sort of visibility. It has never been this much spotlight on the violence and terror um, faced by Black people in this country. And so, yeah, this summer, like, I, I, they call it, some people call it the 2020 summer uprisings. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's, yeah, I mean, it was just very, I was, I remember sitting in my um, house when I came home for the summer break. I think it was in May. It was May, I mean, I think it was like a week or two weeks following um, the murder of George Floyd. And looking at CNN and just seeing like people throw weapons into the CNN center, I was like, I never thought I would see that in my life. Like throwing like things, you know, like just like, we're tired. We are tired and all of these institutions and entities, do not have our best interests at heart. I think that was just like a, that was a collective breaking that occurred. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is the start of something. Yeah. Um, oh no, like I was, I was really just like shocked and excited and exhilarated. Um, not at the violence, but just at the, the refusal to accept mm-hmm. what we've like just been putting up with. It was like, hey, yo, we're tired. And we're gonna show you that we're tired. And so I don't care about no Louis Vuitton store getting looted. (laughs) They had the purses, the bags, the coats, the jackets (laughs) back up there the next day, I'm telling you. So if you you got you a Louis, I don't even know I'm supposed to say this, but rock the Louis. (laughs) (laughs) Rock the Louis. Um, But how you feel about the summer? uh, Uh, generally pretty awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it no. was like it's been such a horrific few months. Yeah. And like you said, like this is not new necessarily, like the idea of like anti blackness and like violence against black people, like that is not new. But right. I think this was definitely like a historic moment in the sense of like the response and how like it was so like just like the visceral like anger and refusal to take this lightly I think that was really something like incredible to witness um and like you said like the uprisings um I think that was definitely like what else could they have expected to happen like when you cause so much harm and like so much violence like what other response could you imagine from people like when you give them no other outlet like of course something like this happens and I think I'm really proud of like the resilience of the community and like what they did, um, especially like, places like Minneapolis, which like really like kicked off like such a strong response, like a resounding response from around the country. I think that was like truly incredible to witness. Um, and I don't think that'll be forgotten for a long time, especially um, for us, because I think it made a huge impact, um, yeah. especially for us, like knowing people that were there and like just witnessing it and like being able to see it every day online like share images and like see videos of like what was going on and I think it was nice to just see it's hard to like use the correct adjectives because like nothing was nice but I think I had an appreciation this time around like with this set of protests and uprisings like compared to before um and like other times when we've seen like I participated in like March like Stefan Clark um, when I was in Sacramento or mm. Mike Brown when I had just started college. Like there is more um, 
like broad reaching support for the movement for like what's going on and for the response of the community right now, which I haven't seen then, like, which is, I take it with a grain of salt, but like there are people that I know that like never responded to this sort of thing, like never responded to anti-black violence that like suddenly are like speaking up or like they want to learn something about this or they want to share resources and they're donating their money and they're taking it seriously. And I just like remember all the harm that I had to swallow as a young person and like watching them ignore it before, but like something so different this time that they're actually like paying attention and taking it seriously. I think it can't be understated like how important that is. Um, and I just hope it's not fleeting, but um, it definitely like made a difference in like the response this time. The fact that it was like, um, there was more people involved and I think more people willing to, I don't know, at least look like they were engaging. <laughs> I'm very skeptical of the support because I think they've earned that. They, I think people who have ignored it for so long have earned skepticism and like their actions and if it's genuine or not. Um, but I think that made a big difference. And I definitely think it's just been such an awful time. Like I remember when we found out about like Ahmaud Arbery, who wasn't killed by mm -hmm. police, but was killed like by white people acting in that same fashion, vigilantes. The police. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then like finding out about like Breonna Taylor and George Floyd yeah. and like seeing those videos by accident. And like, mm -hmm. I saw like the video of like Jacob Blake being shot by accident. Um, yeah. And it's just like really horrific, like everything we've had to witness and absorb this summer. Um, and I don't think it's over um, or anywhere close to that. I don't know. I think it's just really hard to process. And I think yeah. there's definitely going to be there's something significant that I think happened for like the black community at this time. And I think like the trauma of this summer is going to be something to be unpacked for many, many years because wow. the things that we've had to witness and absorb and like participate in, I think that's just had such like a profound impact. Um, and I think we'll be dealing with that for a long time, especially when you think of all like the compounding factors of like being so isolated from one another in the pandemic and like witnessing like certain like marginalized communities at higher rates such as like poor communities and black and brown folks like witnessing the way the state can sponsor death in so many different ways by like refusing health care refusing access to jobs like refusing refusing access to like adequate housing like that's all going on and then we're also watching like actual executions of black people so it's just like coming from all different directions i think the trauma from that is going to be something that will carry like for so long yeah that is so insightful that is so insightful i think Wow, you're gonna look back, you're gonna look back on saying that and be like, yeah, I told y'all they were gonna study this <laughs> because that no, that's really <laughs> insightful. That's really insightful. Um, I think there is a collective trauma, and and hopefully there's a collective healing process that happens after this. And I think that like black people, we just like enjoy congregating too, like, and we find these like enclaves. I think you know that are protected from the state. Like we find ways to like you know. We do the barbecues, reunions, like that, that, that's sort of our way of like, I think, getting through the anti-blackness of, of, of the world and kind of, like you said, just being so isolated, feeling so um, separated from each other. I think that, wow, that's, that's really insightful. Um, I, I wanted to say that before we moved on to the next segment, I wanted to say it's really interesting that, you know, you have the white liberals or even like, I guess, white moderates who, you know, say they're gonna, I mean, I saw some people like post about um, having conversations at the dinner table and really talking about race and really getting down to the nitty gritty. 
and you know they went online and they like looked up the anti-racist books that some of the, the organizations were were listing out uh, or, or saying they should go read and so they blog on amazon and i'm pretty sure they all made bezos you know a few million <laughs> richer and closer to a few billion richer and closer to becoming a trillionaire in 2026 which is to say that like to abolish anti-blackness we cannot you know not abolish capitalism um mm-hmm. things are interlinked and and they coexist and um that's just to show the grip that bezos has on our necks that the zuckerberg <laughs> that, that they they have like they have clawed mm-hmm. their nails into us like it's just like it's just the tech the the, the cap it's just all over we are we are hooked and i don't know how to get out this hole but hopefully we do but well you think of like it literally is so insidious like it's everywhere (laughs) in our culture because you know you think of like some of the like advertising we've seen since like the uprising started and since like protests happened like suddenly mcdonald's cares about black children and they have this little young gifted in black playing in the background as they like advertise their burgers and it's just like where was this energy for the black community before? Y'all, like, oh way- no, like even understand, like we were intentionally intervening in food deserts by like getting in on like poor communities. Like we were trying to help. Like it just doesn't add up. But they're the so way- resilient. Like these companies, they're like suddenly advertising using Black Lives Matter to like prop up their sales. The way anti-blackness morphs itself, like no, it's really, <laughs> it's really wild. Like. Mm-hmm. 10, 15 years ago, you would have never thought McDonald's would do an ad like that. And now they Absolutely. can do the ad and nobody could like bat an eye because it's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, of course they would do that because they're McDonald's and they're trying to be yeah. a quote unquote good corporation. But mm-hmm. we see right through y'all statements. <laughs> like, <laughs> right through. And y'all, none of y'all saying abolish the police. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. we abolish the police, we abolish capitalism, and then we abolish you. So that's why y'all not going to say that. Y'all would say Black Lives Matter. Y'all go play Young, gifted, and black. Y'all wouldn't even put, but y'all not gonna do that. So, mm-hmm. if it ain't that, I don't wanna hear it. I know. That's the last one to dock it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, now we're gonna do front page of black Twitter. Mm-hmm. We just have two things today because we like really couldn't think of celebrity media stuff going on. Mm-hmm. The first being um, the incident surrounding. Megan Thee Stallion and Tory Lanez, who we found out, I think, in August. Was it August or July? It was July, I think. I have no idea. Um, we found out, the public found out that um, Megan Thee Stallion was shot in her foot um, by Tory Lanez. Um, and he released an album this previous weekend talking about um, the story from his perspective or what he alleges happened. Um, and he kind of disclosed that they had a relationship um, and talks about, you know, how the people in the media were talking about him and having their hot takes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, a lot of people have come to Megan's defense, at least from what I've seen. Um, people are still telling him that he's trash for, you know, that night. Um, he says that he was drunk. There were text messages apparently that Megan got saying that he said he was drunk. Um, but obviously we know there's no excuse to ever um, do something like that at all. And I think that, um, 
like so many other black women have been saying, um, the world does not care about black women. Um, um, black men do not care about black women. Um, and, you know, I think it's just a call to do again. Like, you know, it's like, when it, it reminds me of the Chris Brown moment. Like when it was just like, a kind of like, like, whoa, like, like that's how far patriarchy can go. Like it's kind of like, I didn't have the language back then, but it was like, dang, like men could really do that to women. And so I think it's the same moment, like, you know, to just like, yeah, you know, you shot um, Meg, who's at the pinnacle of her career, right? So, um, what what are, what are you what are you seeing on your uh, black Twitter on your TL, Serena, about this situation? I haven't actually seen that many men defending Megan, um, especially not like men in positions of power. People have actually been pretty quiet on it, um, which I just find to be typical because I think people really don't protect black women, especially black women that they think they can't control, um, which I think Megan Thee Stallion represents for a lot of people. Um, mm. And I think it's really disgusting. Like I couldn't imagine, like the conversation that's been had about like, oh, well, I can't support Megan until I hear Tory's side. Like I just need to hear his perspective, like as if maybe he could have like a good reason for harming a partner, like in that way. I just don't understand that. And I also think if you're at the point where you're saying like, oh, I can't support Megan, like she's probably lying, like I need to hear Tori's side first, like you've already made the decision that you don't support her. So like, don't say you're withholding support because you're very clearly saying that you don't believe her. Like you don't believe black women and like the pain that they've gone through or like the trauma that they've gone through. I find it to be incredibly um, problematic and gross. Um, I obviously support Megan with all of my being. I think she's an incredible artist and an incredible person and like what she's gone through. Um, I couldn't imagine that, but I definitely think more people should be supporting her. I think there has been like a good conversation that's been had mostly amongst black women about um, the ways black men express support and like what they're actually defending and how um, there was a situation with um, Lauren London that happened um, there. It was like after Nipsey, her husband had died and somebody said something about her and like the black community, black men like really like surrounded her and like mm. were uplifting her and like defending her vehemently, like coming to her defense, like really going at it, but they couldn't do the same thing for Megan. And a woman mm. on Twitter was saying like, that's because they weren't defending Lauren. Like they were defending Nipsey. Um, just like they're defending Tory now, so it actually is consistent. It's not different at all. And I think that's something important to think about. Dang. Just some food for thought. Food for thought. I know y'all fooled on that one. <laughs> no, that no, that's 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 real. Like that's how it works. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not even gonna like hold you. Like I've been in, you know, been. I feel like. You just hear so much locker room talk, and it's not even locker room talk anymore. It's like just barbershop talk, or you know, just like I mean, black men, we had to do better, like for real. Um, and I think it's just an everyday thing. Uh, it's an everyday um, decision to um, stand up um, against patriarchy and misogyny, um, and, and and just like really. You know, try to kind of reframe and, and, and 
think through why we think certain things about um, women, to be frank, mm-hmm. and and understand that um, when you don't work through those thoughts, when you don't work through um, your internal violence, that it manifests in ways like Tory Lane. So yeah, you may not be shooting a woman or putting your hand on a woman, but the very thought of um, women should, um, you know, be regulated to a certain position, that type of stuff can lead to the mm-hmm. violence that Megan experiences. It's all connected, it's all interconnected. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, like, best wishes to Megan. Um, and I hope that she continues to do what she's doing. She's, you know, killing it. And so I hope that she bounces back from this, like she's bounced back from so many other things, like she's taken so many, yeah. so many hits recently. Um, so Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, Netflix in like what August? I think so. August is called Black August, and so Netflix decided to in August release some black old sitcoms um, from the two thousands, mm-hmm. and uh, I think a lot of us have been binging them just to get through the pandemic. I know a lot of my friends um, have been watching Moesha, but then with girlfriends. <laughs> Well, no, it was Moesha, then Park, then the Parkers, and then when Girlfriends got, everybody just kind of quit those other shows and, like, just, I think, migrated on over to Girlfriends. Because I think Girlfriends was a little more, it gives you, like, Girlfriends is, like, it has this, like, it starts with, like, this, like, certain aim or topic or political, like, goal that it's trying, it's trying to get a message across in the mm-hmm. beginning of the show. And, like, I think it just, I like how the, the show narrates to get that message across and like you leave kind of thinking like oh wow like you know I learned something from this I can take this into my like daily life um and I'm saying that as a man like <laughs> the, the characters are very uh interesting like I, I I know I think I know every I know a character I know a person like every character in that show mm-hmm. a black woman like that so it's just like interesting I love I love that show um but are you are you watching Girlfriends too soon? I am watching it and this is I didn't watch it like much when it was on TV um, but I did watch like the Parkers, um, Emily show, but and Sister Sister, I loved that show. Um, oh, wait, dropped on Netflix too. Yeah. Okay. And I really loved that show. So it's my first time like consistently watching Girlfriends. Do you want me to say more about it? Because you like yeah. I feel like I have an unpopular opinion about it, which no, is just who I am as a person. Um, I like the show too. Like I think it's really entertaining. I like have it on the background, like while I'm doing other stuff, and I think it's really like, fun to watch. Um, <laughs> but I do think it's absolutely a show from the early 2000s. Um, and some of the stuff, I think, it doesn't have the shelf life they thought it would. I think, um, for example. It can be pretty homophobic at times. It can be transphobic almost all the time. And I think there's definitely some sexism and colorism wrapped up in the show that's not unpacked really effectively. Um, Especially when like every episode that I've seen so far, like the entirety of season one is just like centered around like how can Joan get a man? Like the point is to like become a wife, like seek a husband at all costs. And, like, most of the shows, like, most of, like, the episodes, like, the drama is derived from, like, 
seeking men and like just trying to like attach yourself to a man. I don't know. But I understand that I view shows a lot more critically than most people do. And I just notice those things more because I tend to look for them. I'm not trying to say that they're not there because they absolutely are there and it is transphobic and homophobic. But I understand that like some people are just watching it for the nostalgia factor and it's like a feel good show. Mm -hmm. And like, Mm -hmm. if you're able to watch a show uncritically, then like it is really enjoyable. Yeah, uh, yeah, I wish. <laughs> Not to kill the joy around girlfriends, but no, I do fine. think yeah. some of the script writing, like, it just doesn't hold up. No, it's real. I, and I think, like, I saw a conversation um, about, like, you know, how do we how do we engage these shows that were from a certain era who had this certain politics of that certain era? Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and it's also, like, on the other hand of that, you know, on the flip side, it's like, well misogyny is not era based like it was it was consistent <laughs> and yeah. they're also like black feminists who were probably or no not probably actually writing about these things in the 90s and mm-hmm. in, in the 80s in the 2000s just yeah. because they become mainstream doesn't mean these shows can evade some sort of accountability um mm-hmm. it just wasn't mainstream enough right at the time um mm-hmm. but yeah i mean i think i i, I like the show um I think your criticisms are all valid. Like there were some cringe worthy moments for sure that I, yeah. I, they're just like, Oh, I haven't heard people talk like that in such a long time. Cause I feel like I've like created my own kind of, yeah. or, or Facebook and Twitter have pushed me into an echo chamber, but yeah, something but is just like good that those moments shock us. Right. Cause like if you're right. watching it, you're not noticing it and you're just ignoring the fact that it's problematic. I think that's a huge problem. Like a lot of people like, intentionally seek out like problematic media because they like to like unpack mm-hmm. it and like they like to watch it and stuff um which is like 90 percent of the media that we consume <laughs> so it's not like just girlfriends it's problematic like there's all these issues across shows but i think like we can all still watch it and enjoy it but like you have to be honest about what you're consuming and like what it's what messages it was telling you um yeah i think that's important because I, and I think that was like kind of like what people were talking about with Moesha too. Like it was just such a cultural moment that like people aren't just going to throw it away. But mm-hmm. like understanding that watching it now, like it's okay to like understand that there are certain things we wouldn't just ignore, and there are certain things we notice now that we wouldn't have then. Um, but yeah. But it's good that we're critical and then we're vocal. I think like that's yeah, that's always a good thing. Um, yeah, and, and I'm really yeah excited about like wherever. Um, black art is going to be going in the, in the next few years. Yeah, um, I think it's really interesting the culture. No, to ahead. like watch Girlfriends now and like watch Moesha or Sister Sister and like think of what was like black media then versus mm-hmm. like where it's at now and like thinking of shows like Pose that have mm-hmm. such a completely different take and that really like highlight marginalized groups from within the black community such as like black trans folks or um lgbt folks like that are black or brown um and how like that's such a popular show now and like everybody should watch that it's really like such a good show um but thinking of that now versus like where we were even in the early 2000s of like what black media looked like and it was still very much like holding up this like patriarchal like seek out the husband like nuclear family type of understanding of black community versus like Pose, which is like an incredible show and is so transformative for so many reasons. Um, I think it's kind of cool to like hold those both together and like think about like how far yeah. black media has come to like hope, be able to highlight those stories. 
yeah, I hope Pose is a peek into the future, right? Of more, even more marginalized stories uh, being yeah. told on a wider screen. Yeah. That's, no, that's really, yeah. A lot has changed in the past, what, 20, 30 years. Um, yeah. And not just with, like, I'm talking about, like, a lot of the women on the show, because Girlfriends is all about, like, the women protagonists, but, like, even yeah. the way, like, Black men are represented on the show versus how they are on a show like Pose. Right. Um, I think that's something really interesting to, like, compare there. Yeah, yeah. That's that's cool. Um, yeah, so that's all we have for uh, the front page of Black Twitter today. Um, lastly is uh, The Descent. So that's a wrap for uh, episode one of season three, three LOL. Um, <laughs> we want to just really quick give a quick shout out to the people who shared our Instagram post um, when we posted Serena's solo episode, uh, episode 0.5. Uh, Linda, JT, Emma, Tiara, Jessica Williams, and Rudy. Um, thank you guys so much for supporting us and being loyal. Um, we have a really, really loyal fan base, Serena, and we have not treated them the best. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, is this how you feel, Jeff Bezos? Is this how you feel? Because <laughs> I don't feel good. Um, but no, it, yeah, it's, we have not treated our supporters really well so we'll do better about that um for sure so uh anything you any closing words Serena? closing remarks oh, closing remarks thank you guys so much for listening and for all your feedback on the episode that i did by myself because it was so scary um <laughs> like record something like sitting alone by myself just talking out loud in my apartment um so thanks for like listening to that and engaging with us if you are listening to this, like, thank you for, like, sitting with us for this time. It was so fun to record again and, like, have some of these conversations. But I hope you're all safe and healthy and that you just continue um, to seek out hope. I know it's, like, a really bleak time for us all, um, but all we can do is move forward. So that's it. That's it. So I'll, like, leave us with a quote. Um, and a quote this week, um, I hope that you don't forget it. Um, it's by James Baldwin, um, and he says, to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all of the time. Thank you. See you on the next episode.